glad that you're here. Myself and many of our missions leaders have really looked forward to this weekend and, and the opportunity to celebrate uh, what God is doing through this church and around the world. This is a weekend, actually, that's just it's slammed full of activity here at Timberline. It just happens to be all of my favorite stuff. We're uh, celebrating tonight at 630 at our mission celebration dessert. And I'm stressing that that's a dessert because I've heard a few people say banquet. And I, don't, I, I it is a dessert. It's going to be great. But I don't want you to come uh, expecting a meal and then eat like 10 desserts. So uh, we're going to have a great time together. The, the video that you just saw uh, outlines six different ways that God has stirred people's hearts to action here at Timberline in the area of missions. We'll be celebrating those Tonight, we really, really hope that you can come. There are tickets uh, available. It is a ticketed event just so that we can keep count. Tickets are only a dollar, but we do need you to pick up a ticket to come. They are still available in the mall uh, afterwards. We're, we're in both auditoriums tonight, the main and the south auditorium. We're also sending teams off to Haiti, two teams to Haiti and one to Beach Reach. And we'll have an opportunity to have a commissioning prayer for them at the end of the service. So we've got a, a full week. So we're going to dive right into a, a, a story that I want to read to you out of Mark chapter five. And it's a bizarre story. It's a little bit long, so bear with me. Uh, but it, it's uh, it's an interesting story. So here we go. They went across the lake, they being Jesus and the disciples to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me Jesus, son of the most high God, in God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. And the demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. I told you it was a bizarre story. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank and into the lake where they drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. I love this story, and it may be partly because it reminds me of a lot of missions experiences. Uh, Those of you that have been on missions trips or even missions outings in the local community, hands-on serving people might recognize some of the earmarks of this story as, as parallels to what we might experience uh, in missions. First of all, it was away from home. It involved travel in this case for the disciples, a lot of travel. Uh, we do missions experiences in our own community, but usually it's outside of our comfort zone and outside of our own home. 
They had a seasoned leader. Usually missions experiences for us isn't just something we wake up one day and decide to do, but it's in response to the call of a leader who has done this kind of thing before and and who kind of leads the effort. There was a team of followers that were in it to learn and experience God in a new way. The disciples, like many of us who engage in missions experiences, were there to kind of learn and to see what God might be doing. There wasn't a lot of rest as is often the case in missions experiences, these the disciples had just come off the lake in the boat. And this was the story previous to that, where they were in the boat and Jesus calmed the storm. Jesus slept some during that time, but the disciples didn't because they were scared for their lives. There was difficulty in getting there in unexpected and unsettling circumstances. I always seldom do will I have a missions orientation, whether it's a missions trip or or an event where I won't say at some point, blessed are the flexible for they will not be broken. Now, I know that's not in the Bible, but it, 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 it's, a, it's a good guide, I think, for us in missions. And, and the reality is that I have learned over time that we'll plan and plan and plan, and we always will, and we'll continue to plan. We'll do the best that we can to plan for safety and, and logistics and and, and, and even have some idea of what we think that God might intend to do during a missions experience. But I found that almost without exception, that plan just goes to the wayside at some point when we step out and participate with God uh, in mission. Because I believe that part of missions is that God wants to, it's not just what he wants to do through us for other people, but he wants to do things in us. And a lot of times that means just kind of messing us up a little bit. Sometimes just taking these these thoughts that we have and, and these these the sense that we have control and this sense that we have an idea of what's going to happen and what God is doing. And he just kind of tears that apart and dismantles us and shapes us in the meantime and shows us that his plans are better than ours. Always different, always better than ours. As your notes say, this is a story about one miracle but three different contrasting responses to what Jesus did in this miracle. It's one of those stories kind of like the prodigal son. Now, the prodigal son is a parable. This is, a, this is an actual occurrence in the life of Jesus and his disciples. But, but, but it's the same in the sense that, that at different parts of our journey, depending where, where, on where God has us, we may identify with different characters in this story and their perspective at different times even though their perspectives contrast. Well, how did the disciples, first of all, first set of characters in the story of the disciples, how did they respond to Jesus' actions? Well, you just read the whole story. It really didn't even mention the disciples. It doesn't say anything about what the disciples did. And they didn't. They, but, but what we know is this. Really, all we know, if we read what happened before and what happened after, is that the disciples were with Jesus when they landed on the shore and they were with him when he left. So we know only that they stayed the course and they didn't run away. Well, let me tell you why I think that that matters. In order to understand why that matters, we kind of have to look at the, at the longer journey. This is a three-year journey with the disciples where they're with Christ and Jesus is shaping them. They don't know this, but we know that Jesus is shaping them to be the foundation of the church of Jesus Christ. He is shaping them to to launch in human history the church to be the hope of mankind. And they don't know this. They're just a, a band of fishermen. And if you look at, at this story, at beginning, it begins and ends with a mandate, it, it, with a commission. 
At the very beginning, if you recall, when he when he called the disciples uh, who were fishermen at that time, he said, come with me and I will make you fishers of men. There's a sense if you kind of follow that story for a while, you realize they they kind of got the come with me thing and they, and they did that. But they had no idea what it meant to become fishers of men. So that's the first thing that he said to them. The last thing that he said before he left for heaven and left them here on earth to be the church was the Great Commission, which Pastor Jeff shared with us last week. He said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. So very similar commissions are the bookends of this journey. But in between, we see this progression of understanding of who God is. And at this part of the journey, they don't get who God is. And if you look at the story on the boat and you see that they're in the storm with Jesus and and, and you can see that they're slowly beginning to understand who Jesus was. But at, at the end of that story, he says to the disciples, because they had come to him and they said, why are you sleeping? Don't you even care for our safety? And, and he calmed the storm and he said to him, to them, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So they've been with Jesus for a while, but they still don't understand who Jesus is as the Son of God. But they're beginning to understand His power. They're beginning to understand who He is. And I think it's interesting on that boat, if you look at, at, at what's happening there, to really understand who He was as the Son of God. They focused on, on his, his protection over them. And he, and he even said to them, Have you no faith? They were concerned at that point only about their own lives. And about living through this encounter on the sea. When I imagine the disciples in the middle of that storm, I think of, of my, my older brother. I, I, I've got a, uh, an older brother who, uh, you can't tell by that picture because the, the face guard covers it up. But his face, it's, he's trouble. And he always has been. He's just mischief. And every trouble that I ever got in in my life was because of him and following him. And I'll, and I'll stick to that story. But he really did. He was my hero. And so I'd follow him anywhere. I mean, he if he could do no wrong. Now, I know now he did a lot of wrong. But but I but in my eyes, I, I was going to follow him anywhere. And he led us into stuff I can't even share. Um, but and he had this unhealthy. He was fearless, but in an unhealthy kind of way. And we lived out in the country. And I remember it, so we didn't have a lot of stuff. And my mom raised five boys and she was a single mom. We didn't have a lot of stuff, but but he discovered at some point it didn't really matter what we didn't have because someone else had it. Now, he wasn't a thief, but he felt full freedom at any point to go and to borrow for whatever period of time other people might have. We, we had a little pond, and this is just an example of the trouble. You we had a little pond that we'd like to fish in, but we didn't have a little rowboat. Well, he discovered a couple miles up the, this country road that there was, a, there was a farmer there that had a pond also, but he had a rowboat. And he thought it'd be cool if we could fish off the boat. So I followed him into trouble and we just staked out this guy's house every once in a while until he was gone. And then we fished on his rowboat. 
But I remember the point of this is that I remember over time, because that's just one in a whole bunch of stories where I was terrified. I wasn't fearless like him. I was scared to death. I was a little guy and I, I, I knew that, that trouble was around the corner. But I remember specifically at different times actually moving my body to get to where I could see his face at different times. Times when I was really starting to get scared and it looked like the walls were starting to close in. And if there wasn't fear in his face, we were okay. And I just kind of conditioned myself that way, where I would glance at his face. And then every once in a while, I saw fear in his face. And that meant it was time to run. Things weren't, things weren't okay anymore. But I pictured the disciples. And again, the scripture of them in the boat doesn't say just where the disciples were. But understanding where they were in their journey with Jesus, I picture them kind of jostling for position and trying to lock in on the face of Jesus. And beginning as they as they begun to understand who he was as the son of God, even though they were terrified in many of these instances, including the one that we're reading about right now, they began to lock in on his face. And to understand that to lock in on the face of Jesus as a son of God was to understand more about who he was and to find strength and to find faith and to find security in who he was. So that's where they were in this journey with him. And, and, and that's what it is to be stirred. They grew in their understanding and anticipation of Jesus' power. See, it wasn't, it, they moved at some point beyond just following Jesus into these things to a point where they really began to anticipate and look forward to what God was going to do for the sake of other people. And that's what God does. Sometimes that's all he wants from us is to participate with him in the redemption of those that don't know him. So God uses these out-of-the-ordinary experiences to stir our hearts to action. He certainly did for the disciples throughout this three-year three journey. And I believe that he does for us as well. First of all, he conditions us to lean into the power of his presence and empowers us to act on his behalf. To lean into his presence. That's what we just saw in the life of the disciples, and I believe it was a landmark in their growth journey for them I believe that the fullness of God's power in our lives is experienced in our active participation in his love for others that flows out of our inactive participation in his presence. We talk about missions. We're talking about active participation in what God is doing. But Jesus showed the disciples over time that you can't separate these two. That that has to flow out of an understanding of who God is, a growing understanding of who God is in his presence. Some of us are wired up and I and, and, and I'm this way as doers. And, and we just that's what we think. Well, what, what can we do for God? What can we do with God? How is he going to use me to do something today for the sake of other people? But I believe that. That what we see here in the life of the disciples is that God intends for that always to flow out of an abiding in his presence and a greater understanding of who he is. And I go so far as to say that sometimes when we do missions that doesn't flow out of abiding in his presence and understanding who he is and who he wants us to be, that sometimes it's it's really our own agenda. It's at times it's not even God's. 
What you will love about the leaders, I've been here for 15 months, and one thing that I've, I've grown to love about the, the missions and outreach leaders here at Timberline Church is that without exception, abiding in the presence of God, and specifically prayer, is a thread that weaves all throughout everything that happens in missions. Planning for missions trips doesn't happen without a strategy to cover that in prayer. Missions trips themselves don't happen without hundreds of people in this congregation praying over people as they go out. As we celebrate together what God has done, has done through missions, we do that uh, in his presence and understanding in a greater way who he is. Secondly, he allows us through these experiences to see our world and the people in it differently with a different perspective, maybe than we've ever seen it before. Or a different perspective that others may see the same people or the same world that we live in. One of the first people I met here at Timberline, it was the first couple of weeks I was here, Pastor Daryl Haley said, Hey, there's a guy named Mike Walker that I want you to meet with. I think you guys will really connect. He, he has a great heart for, for missions, and, and I, I just want you to have lunch with him. So I met with Mike, and it was one of those meetings, and I had a lot of these when I first got here. I realized about three or four minutes in that this is one of those sizing me up meetings. It was one of those... I just want to make sure that you're not one of these missions pastors, or I just want to make sure that this is important to you. And I don't say that critically because I love Mike and his heart, but it, it, and he used to be a cop. So you kind of feel it when, when he's sizing you up. I really felt it with him. And, uh, but, but Mike just wanted to make sure that missions for me, and that as it continued to grow here at Timberline, wasn't something that was just focused overseas but that was focused on people here in this community who God had given him an incredible passion for. I sat down with Mike this week and interviewed him because I wanted you to hear his heart about this perspective that God has given him for broken people in our community. My journey with God started... Um, in, in 1997 and culminated with me moving to Fort Collins, Colorado in 1999. I was a police officer for most of my adult life. So, so most of my experience uh, as an adult was, was seeing people as, as more of a, a legalistic um, you know, background to the things I was doing. It was about their actions and, and trying to figure out whether they were doing things the right, right, right or the wrong way. About seven or eight years ago, God started doing something new in my heart, and He started to to really soften my heart for people um, and, and the circumstances behind why they were where they were. So the, the the pain that was reflected today was pointing to something from their past, and I began to really process that and it started to change my my life and, and my heart. And I started to really um, empathize with people, and ultimately it culminated with me going on a on a journey to lead the police department because I thought God was calling me out of that. Really, what he was doing was preparing me for something new. And that is, you know, reaching broken people in our community in, in a really meaningful way. The, the, the most illustrative uh, of, of the stories I could tell you would be uh, a friend of mine who I challenged uh, to become involved in the bridge ministry this Christmas season. And I asked him to, to step up and, and get involved, and he, he did so reluctantly. But I, I never forget when I called him after the event to, to congratulate him and, and, and somehow proud I was of him for, for taking that chance. He told me that watching me around people he knew I knew from a different background and, and 
if he said to me that if he if I could work with these people in a way um, that was so different than who I used to be, it challenged him to do the same thing. And that that was the most meaningful thing I anyone had said to me uh, for my service at the bridge. Knowing Mike and his story and the gift of this perspective that God has given him about people in our community, uh, it's no wonder that God uses Mike the way that he does to impact people's lives and and to be a part of of his work for people who are broken. It's kind of like the way that Jesus saw this man in this story. You see, this man had been known by people in that region for years and years. And they saw him as a person that needed to be controlled and bound up and put aside and and taken away and that they needed to be protected from. But Jesus got off the boat and he saw a man who was made in the image of God. He saw a man that 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 he loved and a man who simply needed to be redeemed by God's life changing power. Thirdly, God uses these experiences. He challenges us to see our own redemption with a new sense of responsibility. To see our own redemption, our own salvation, is something that's not just a gift for us, which certainly it is. A gift from God, the greatest gift we'll ever receive. But also something that he intends to make a difference in the lives of others. Randy Bruxford, uh, I met this summer as we were signing up people for some of our summer missions trips. He signed up to go to the Czech Republic where we went and served with the Teen Challenge Ministry. And Randy's a person that I learned over the course of that trip. God had uniquely uh, used his story of redemption and connected it to a sense of responsibility that stirred his heart to action. I want you to meet Randy as well. God really stirred my heart uh, for the Teen Challenge in Czech Republic because by His grace, I mean that from the bottom of my heart, He saved me from going down the path of alcohol. I'm a recovering alcoholic and being in the Czech Republic and listening to their stories of drug abuse and alcohol abuse and how God's redemptive power changed their lives really changed my life also. The reason I had chosen to go to the Czech Republic for a short-term mission trip with Timberline was initially that it was uh, for Teen Challenge, which is an alcohol and drug treatment ministry. We were going to go out there and do a construction project, which really interested me also, something that I could use my hands and and get involved in that way as opposed to a a medical-type mission trip. So it was a really good opportunity for the team from Timberline to go to Czech Republic and show the love of God to the people at Team Challenge. God has definitely given me a, a new perspective on people that are broken throughout the world and then also here in the States. To hear their stories of redemption and, and how God has changed their lives completely around really touched my life uh, tremendously. See, something powerful happens when we begin to see what God has saved us from the way that that Randy does. It transforms our lives. It stirs our hearts. I I asked Randy if I could share this, but God continues to stir his heart. Even since that trip last summer, he continues to be he he recognized when we were there. We had the opportunity to buy uh, 
Bibles for every one of the students that were in that Teen Challenge program. Many of them had never had a Bible before. It's hard for us to imagine because we take that for granted. But he saw how hungry these men and women were for the Word of God. We were able to give them that gift. And so Randy continues, uh, as God stirs his heart, to give to provide Bibles for every student that comes into that Teen Challenge ministry and even others now, other Teen Challenge ministries there in Central Europe. Well, what about these people in the region, uh, the other people in the region who witnessed this transformation? They witnessed the same miracle that the disciples did, but their response was quite different. In verse 17, it says, Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave the region. They begged Jesus to pack up his life-redeeming power and leave. That makes no sense to me. How could they witness this this Life transformation. And instead of embracing Christ and and instead of reaching out to him, rejecting him and asking him to leave, Max Lucado alludes to these people's rejection in his book. He still moves stones. He says, you mean the people asked Jesus to leave? That's right. Rather than thank him, they dismissed him. What would cause people to do such a thing? Good question. What would cause people to prefer pigs and lunatics over the presence of God? Or better, what would cause an alcoholic to prefer drunken misery over sobriety? What would cause a church to prefer slumber over revival? What would cause a nation to prefer slavery over freedom? What would cause people to prefer God to prefer yesterday's traditions over today's living for God? The answer, fear of change. Change is hard work. It's easier to follow the same old path than to move out into uncharted territory. So the people dismiss Jesus. And since Jesus never goes where he isn't invited, he steps back into the boat. They feared change. It was a powerful force for them. But they were also blinded by something as powerful as change as, in this instance, and that was self. You see, they lost something that was precious to them. We kind of race through this thing about the, the thing about the 2000 pigs seems kind of bizarre, but that was livestock that had value to them. So they were blinded by the loss of something that was valuable to them. See, sometimes in spite of the fact that God may be stirring our hearts, we may never respond in action for fear of what it might cost us. Lastly, the man that was delivered. He's the third character in this story who responded to Jesus' miracle. Jesus' final action in the story is is perhaps even more surprising than these witnesses we just read about. In verse 18, the man that he had just delivered begged to go with him. Well, I I read that story and I get to that point and it's automatic. Of course he's going to take him with him. Why wouldn't he? I mean, as an act of mercy or even more importantly, here's a guy with an incredible story. These other 12 guys were just fishermen. They didn't even get it yet. But here's a, this is a made-for-TV movie. I mean, this guy's got, you can write books here. I mean, just, just think about the, the expansion of Jesus' ministry with this guy's testimony. And if he added him to the team. But that's not what Jesus said. No, he sent him away. And where did he send him? In verse 19, he says, go home to your own people. And tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the ten cities how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. 
See, Jesus sent them away with a purpose. He said, I can't stay, so you have to go and be be my witness. And that's what God does. He saves us, and then he sends us out with a purpose. So there you have it. History's first missionary sent out. And it's interesting because we think of missionaries being sent out. We, we, we always think of sending out missionaries around the world. But in this case, he sent him home. And in many cases for us, when he stirs our heart and sends us, sends us out into action, it is in other places. But many times he sends us home. Many times he's turned our hearts to see our neighbors differently than we ever have. To see the people in our community as people who are separated from God. And need to know him and his life redeeming power. And don't miss that last part where it says that all the people were amazed. You see, when God saves us and he stirs our hearts and he sends us out with a purpose. And then we respond in obedience. We will always be amazed at what he does. And that's my favorite part. As you go, there are several tables in the mall with different missionary partners and and uh, different ways to get engaged in missions. There are also, if you have not tried this coffee yet, this Rwandan gourmet coffee, I, I could do a commercial for them. Um, every cup of coffee and bag that we sell goes to support missions. So there's a big display out there. You can go and check that out and try out some of the of the coffee tickets for the dessert tonight are available in the mall as well. Our prayer teams will be at the front of both of the auditoriums. If you if God stirred your heart this morning to start a relationship with him, please come and pray with one of these uh, prayer team workers at the end of the service. Thank you for being here. Go with God.